0: Hello, listeners. It's Philip here. Um, I'm with my cousin, Mark, and my brother, Peter. Um, it's been a while. We haven't really uh, done a podcast since the Australian Open, but uh, a lot has happened since then. And we'd like to discuss um, some of the things. Um, one thing that happened is that Rafa beat Karen Kachanov in Indian Wells, um, but he was injured mid-match and ended up winning, but was just totally useless afterwards and had to withdraw against Federer. And so, uh, I'm going to ask Peter and Mark, are there any non-tennis situations that are analogous to what happened with Rafa? Like he won the match, but the tournament organizers, it's definitely not in their best interest for the injured guy to win the match. So, so
1: I, I have one idea. Um, so, imagine you're going out to a restaurant that is known for its desserts, and you order a steak, not knowing that it'll just be this monster steak, and then you but and you consume it all, but then you don't have room for the dessert. Yeah. And and uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna extend I, I'm gonna propose that we nickname Kashinov. Uh, the Big stake, <laughs> because this is now the second time in a row he's lost to Rafa, but TKO'd him in the process.
0: Yeah, like the first time was the the U.S. Open last year. And he also just looks like a meathead, so the Big stake is actually a perfect name for him.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot. It's very Freudian, you know, you think you're playing against a female. I mean, I think when Rafa signed up to play against him, when, when Kachanov asked him if he wanted to play in the quarters and Rafa said, fine, yeah, I'd love that. He thought he was playing against a girl. So that, that also threw him off a little bit. <laughs> but, and speaking of girls, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to use a slightly R-rated analogy. Of course, it's entirely hypothetical. But let's just say you're with, you're with a really hot girl and it's the first time you've had a chance, you know, to, to get to know her better. And so you really want to make a very good first impression. So you, uh, Let's just say you, 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 you extend the foreplay part a little bit longer than you had anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> As a result of that, uh, you know, the main event, maybe you just don't really have enough <laughs> to tank for the main event. I mean, so you're glad in one sense, you're glad, but but then again, everything that you know the fans were there for, they didn't really quite get to see it. So uh, I'll leave the rest of the
1: details out, but of course, it's entirely hypothetical.
2: Yeah, yeah
1: no, and sort of adapting that scenario to the Tinder era, where um, you're a single guy, you can have a date lined up for Friday and another date lined up for Saturday, and what if and you can't? What if you're in Saturday? Say you have the more compelling option lined up on Saturday, but you totally spend yourself on Friday. Yeah, or you're just totally into Friday, and so you never get a chance to find out what's
2: there on Saturday. But you just kind of, you know, you bring your A game on Friday, and you're kind of stuck with Friday on for Saturday and Sunday. Yeah,
0: something. yeah, she she totally TKOs you by sleeping over. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, this is good. This is good. I think it's important for us to be, um, you know, cross curricular in these discussions. Yeah. Uh, can I can I can I extend that question one time further? Is there ever been a time where you knew maybe you just you know you played in a squash tournament and you knew that you couldn't actually play on Sunday, and maybe not for injury reasons, but some other logistical reason, and so you're trying to lose on Saturday but you just don't let yourself lose, knowing that you really can't play the match. Have you ever won a match that you really were trying to lose, and then you kind of have to pull out of the tournament after that?
0: No, I've never been in that situation, but I have been injured mid-match and ended up winning and was rendered useless for the rest of the season. Um, Against Yale, I was up 2-1 in games, 7-1 in the fourth game we were playing to nine um, and uh, I pulled my hamstring on a lunge but I was so close that I just decided to keep going and pretend like try and make it look like I wasn't injured um, and I shot the guy at Yale he uh, clawed back to seven all Oh, but, go ahead. and but then he he still had no idea I was injured um, and so he hit the next three balls out and I ended up winning <laughs> <laughs> And then there was a match later that day or the next day or no it was like literally. 2 weeks before nationals and i was just oh i was just uh, my hamstring couldn't heal in time to be 100% for nationals
2: yeah i've actually had that happen where i had to just do a flight the next day and i'm really trying to lose but at some point and as you guys know you know even just maybe when you're playing against a friend and you're trying to give away points Sometimes it's harder to lose than it is to win, and just the body won't <laughs> let yourself lose, and then you're like, okay, great, I won this match, and now I have to have to default the semi. So I, I could only imagine what that was like for Rafa. Wasn't like, that one of the that... major
0: storylines in Pulp Fiction? Like Bruce Willis's character was supposed to throw the match, but he just couldn't <laughs> let himself lose, and then Marcellus Wallace wanted to kill him.
1: Yeah, I think that. I think there that is something good. to it. Like it relieves pressure when you sort of. Um, expect to lose like when uh, Kyrgios turned it on against Nadal after he was like he got the uh, he got the uh, the doctor to come on board and he was saying he was sick and he was gonna withdraw and maybe that sort of relieved some like pressure yeah and then there was nothing in it for Nadal I mean that was that seemed like a total
2: sandbag when I when I got the scores, or when I think all of us woke up the next morning, we saw the result was what it was. It actually seemed almost like, uh, you know, like, like the match was sort of rigged from the start.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that see, was like so an, an unbelievable of, result because Kyrios was like ranked 67th in the world and it all was playing well. And then you just wake up and Kyrios had won the match and then he wins the tournament and is now top like 35 again.
1: Yeah, yeah, and Kyrgios backed it up. Though he then went on to beat Stan and then um, Isner, Isner, and then uh, then Zverev, and uh, but his win against Rafa was the luckiest. I watched that live, and <laughs> it, it just was like unbelievable how lucky he was getting like the entire way. Um, and also Rafa was just really like not closing he was he was up love 40 in two of Kyrgios' service games in the um, final set and Kyrgios played well and then he was up like 6-3 in the final tie break and lost it and I think Rafa yeah. is like a closet
0: choker yeah I agree with that ever since like...
1: or, or do you think that's
2: universal do you think that with most players when they give up the first match point or the second match point or let's say they're up you know, like you say, triple break point, that as long as the person who is down can get that first point, that psychologically they almost level the playing field because the other player becomes, you know, afraid to lose something that they should have won. Like, I wonder if that is a little bit more the norm and not the exception, Whereas if, if you don't close somebody out right away, that you end up sort of playing defensively, even though, logically speaking, you shouldn't be. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's hard to say, but I agree kind that like Rafa's what, like kind of like
2: what you were talking about, Phil. Like you're up seven one, but if the guy can get to seven four, even though there's still a three point differential, it is almost as if the the playing field is even. Yeah, momentum really. Somebody of Nadal, Nadal's stature should be able to you know just hit one big serve and get it over with. But but still, I, I my guess is that maybe once they get that first point or the second point, you know, the person who is trying to come back and relax a lot.
0: Yeah, I think like one major question that this leads to is like, what is momentum and like, like, uh, how important is it? You know, um, we we all know it exists. Like some like in the U.S. Open match between Team and Nadal, Team won the first set six love and had all the momentum. Yeah, but then ended up losing the match. And actually, when I I see, like, Rafa loses a set six love and I see that he isn't injured, I'm just like, okay, it's going to, like, it's going to even out because he's, like, too good to lose a set six love.
2: How many games do you think the person who loses six love, is it just by virtue of winning the first game of the next set that you have the momentum? Or do you think that you've officially reversed momentum, let's say, if you're up 3-1 after four games, or if just you start holding more easily than the other person? holding their serve. Like, is it, is it the turn of a screw or it becomes a gradual, um, you know, sort of retaking of the momentum?
0: Um, I think it really depends. Like, I think momentum can be retaken in one point or it could be retaken in just, like, uh, winning a set you should have lost. Um, or, yeah, but I yeah. think it, it really is just, like... Something Djokovic does better than anyone is uh, keeping the other guy feeling like he's not going to win. Like if the if 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 the guy who's down sniffs hope at all, it's like a good way for him to get momentum.
2: And that and that is a good segue. Do you think that there's anything the tournament can do? I know that there was some some sort of Twitter conversation that. There should be a quarterfinalist lucky loser. If so, if that's the case, who becomes the lucky loser? It would it just be Kachanov in that case. That if the winner, uh, let's say, pulls out of the tournament within 12 hours or 24 hours, that that person, you know, who lost that match, could move on to the semis. Or do you think it, you know, keep it the way it is? If if the winner of a match decides to pull out, then you know, too bad for the fans
0: so I, I've got I've got I've got an idea um, that would really improve the uh, ratings for ATP tour um I think the fans would get to vote on who has the hottest girlfriend and like the the person at the top of the list who's like still like in the tournament uh, it's sort of like the possession arrow in basketball like that person would get to like uh, be the quarterfinals lucky loser
1: and that would, that would incentivize all the guys to, like, continue to upgrade their girlfriends.
0: Yeah, there's no reason for Tiafos to not have his, like, girlfriend sitting first row, you know? And it's just, like, these young guys. That's one of my biggest gripes. Like, why does Sitsa pass not have just, like, a smoke show Greek girlfriend? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so uh... I actually think that Sitsipas should be the one who or not Sitsipas, uh Kashinov should have been the one to uh if there was a lucky loser situation. Because um imagine if um let's see who did who did um who did like Federer beat Federer beat like her catch?
0: Yeah her imagine
1: Imagine if hercatch got it, and then he would play Federer twice in a row.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: like, it would have to be sort of the guy who hasn't played any of the other guys still in.
0: Yeah, yeah, like, uh, Schreiber, like, should have, like, played for Montfis. The thing is, it's tough, because a lot of these guys schedule their flights the next day when they lose. Um, yeah.
1: But, so, but, I mean, the prize money is enough to, like, miss your flight
0: yeah and also it's just like who gets the prize money? like the guy who withdrew from the quarterfinals but got there, or the guy like would would the guy who who was the lucky loser still get quarterfinalist prize money?
1: yeah, I think it would I think it would depend on, yeah, I think the lucky loser would get quarterfinalist prize money, but then get finalist prize money if they win,
0: yeah. Yeah, maybe like just uh, the lucky loser does not get quarterfinalist prize money, except if he wins, and then he gets like yeah. I
2: think that's a great call. I, I just think you know. I, I actually, I wonder if Federer, when the match got tight on Sunday, was disadvantaged by the fact that he didn't have a tight match the day before, where his team did have a tight match, so he was a little bit more big point tough. It sort of showed. I don't you know, think a I
0: mean, 37-year-old is ever disadvantaged by not playing. <laughs> Fair, <laughs> that's right. Maybe that's
2: the outlier. But, you know, I think as you saw, like when Anderson was winning all those matches by default, or maybe it was the other guy. Anyway, Anderson, there was no way he could hold his own against Nadal in the in the U.S. Open final a couple, couple of years ago. Nadal was a little bit more match-proven at that anyway, that Anyway, that, that's something the ATP will have to figure out. Speaking of hot girlfriends, how do you guys feel about Rayanich? I mean, not not how do you feel about him, but but do you think he's going to be a force the rest of the year, or is he just trying to keep pace with his compatriots? Uh, in,
0: uh, yeah, the young guys, like the
2: girlfriend, but
0: yeah, I think uh, I think uh, Rayanich is on the rise. Like he's had some good results this year, like quarterfinals Indian Wells. Um, I think he no, made the quarterfinals yeah. of uh, yeah, sem- semifinals yeah he made the quarterfinals of the Australian Open that was sort of a really tough loss for him to lose to Puy in that because I think he yeah he thought he was he's traditionally the better player but I mean he's come to play in like all the tournaments um, yeah so like I think unfortunately he's like sort of back but he's not all the way back because he used to be in that like Nishikori zone. Um, and Nishikori is back in the top eight, but Ryan, it's just still not cracked top 10 again.
1: Yeah. And Ryan, still has just bad losses. Um, I think that, uh, there are like, we has done nothing since the Aussie open. Like there, there are some just really inconsistent guys on tour. Um, like I guess Kyrgios is an obvious example, but Pui like Dimitrov, um, it's like the list of guys who you would
0: yeah, Dimitrov is now ranked lower than very... Jill Simone, which is like a travesty. <laughs> Hello. Yeah.
2: Sorry. Sorry, guys, I, I went out of range for a second. Um, as you were saying, you think you think he's here to stack?
0: Yeah, and we 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 just started talking about uh, how there are so many inconsistent guys on tour, such as like Luca Pui. Um, and Dimitrov is ranked lower than Jill Simone at the moment. So the
2: fact that he is not one of that late 20s crowd that's, that's being inconsistent, that bodes a little bit more well for him since pretty much everybody else from his, from his gene pool is just sort of you know, off and on pretty much every week.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's on the rise. He'll be top 10 again. Do you guys think he'll be top ten at the end of this season?
2: Well, let's think about the people who are going to fall out of the top ten. Anderson's likely to fall out. Del Potro's likely to fall out. Uh, who might else fall out? That was top ten last year. Isner's likely to fall out. I think so. That I think that would that then. Chilich could too. Chilich is could. ten right now. Yeah, and he's got points to defend. I think he did pretty well at the French last year. He did what he won Queen's Club. So yeah, you're probably right. He's probably not. He's not somebody who's good every year. He's usually good for two years, and then he falls a little bit. So you're right. I think, yeah, I think, I think Rian uh, wants it. And, you know, if he makes at least quarters in Wimbledon, then then I think it's almost guaranteed.
0: Yeah, I think he's gonna do it. He's 15 in the world right now, um, and in the race, what is he's in? Shit, I'm on live tennis rankings. He's a. Uh,
1: He's eighth in the race. Eighth in
0: the race, yeah.
1: And that it's early for that. How
2: about team? Do you think he's there to stay, or do you think he just got the mojo the last last two, three matches, and then it's still a wild card? I don't want to say a wild card, but he's not he's not a lock to be in the quarters or the seventies of every big tournament. What, what's your feeling on
0: that? I think when he gets the Joko, he's like he can compete with anyone, but uh, he's just like incredibly inconsistent.
1: Yeah, his um his win loss to date is 8 and 4. And I think 6 of his wins were at Indian Wells. Like I'm looking at I'm going to look up his his year to date head to head. But basically he's just a guarantee to lose have a stretch in the season where he loses like four straight first round matches as the as a really high seed. Yeah. Yeah, and when he's just like Got it flowing. He is a tough out for anyone. Well, he looked like somebody who, you know, will
2: only get better during the clay court season just the way his game is. So I guess that'll be the make it or break it for him, right? Would you say that Miami's not as important, but he's got to take make a pretty big imprint in, uh, in Monte Carlo and Barcelona and, and Madrid? Or do you think it's okay if he, he's... A little bit uh, inconsistent, but he can turn it on at the French. I mean, do you think he's that type, or do you think he needs to he needs to establish that consistency before the French?
0: I think it would really help him to have a top four seed at Roland Garros, so he doesn't have to. The uh, one thing that's different about this clay court season is Djokovic is on top form, so like that automatically bumps Team down to the third best clay court player in the world. So he's like unlikely to make the finals again, or it's like. Smart yeah. money is not on him making the finals again. And, like, also smart money is, he's not, like, going to be the person who takes the big title if Rafa gets knocked out in an early round. Um, yeah, there are two people who are just great um, clay court players to compete with now.
2: Yeah, and you can't count out to and, you know, Fed Fed will make, I mean, I don't
1: think Fed will be an easy out on clay. Yeah. And Vera beat him in the finals of a Masters in, I think, was it Rome? Madrid. Last, Madrid last Madrid, year, yeah.
0: yeah. And also, uh, Sitsipas is a really good clay court player.
1: And, and,
2: the, and the young Canadians.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, what's his name? Oje Ali He had really good results on clay. Um, yeah, that guy is going to be really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, he he I think one of the biggest storylines since the Australian Open is that he's sort of uh he he's had some breakout results.
1: Yeah, he he got to the finals of Rio and got multiple rounds in at at uh, Indian Wells beating Sitsipas. Apparently, he was uh 3 and 0 against Sitsipas in juniors. So he may have had some sort of mental edge going into that match, but he just crushed him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that is a strange like fat stat because Tsitsipas is like uh 2 years older. So, beating yeah. someone 2 years older than you and juniors who's that good is really tough. Yeah. Um, but he is just he's going to be the best of all of the like he just has such like a complete game. Better than Zverev? Uh, I mean, Zverev is a different generation from him. Like uh, he's uh he's twenty he's eighteen. Zverev is like twenty two now.
1: No, Zverev is still twenty one.
0: He's like almost twenty two. Yeah, so I guess there's three year separation, but uh, yeah, Felix is a better prospect than Zverev, I think. Yeah,
1: um, I think uh, I think the Shapo- the Sh- Shapovalov is the one who's really the wild card. Because if he can, if he can ever just like cut out those errors, like he is just a force. But like he can hit shots that, that very few other people can hit. Um, he's got such just natural power. But, um, th- that's such, that's such an easier said than done, um, thing to do. Like just minimize your unforced errors. It's like, oh yeah. Uh, It's like hit tighter rails, and I was like, "Yeah, hit that shot better."
0: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, um, that's another thing that Felix needs to get rid of um, too. Uh, That's something they have in common. Like Felix just hits way too many double faults, and just uh, like you don't. He'll hit the ball like incredibly cleanly for uh, like three straight points, and then just shanka forehand worse than you've seen like worse than you think a professional should be able to like shank a forehand like it sort of reminds me of Roger Federer when he was like in his like little slump in his early 30s yeah, yeah. but like the canadians yeah if they if the, the young canadians can eradicate unforced errors then they're going to be really tough to to deal with
2: yeah, I mean, at what point do, would you actually see that as a liability that, that they could just, um, what should I say, you know, go off, go off the rails for a game or two games? Do you think that, you know, as long as they're teenagers, that's actually part for the course, that may be part of what makes them tough to play, but if they're, you know, 21, 22, 23, and having, you know, sort of big dips in concentration or execution, then it's a problem. Like it seemed like when I was watching that Kyrgios Nadal match, I was thinking maybe sometimes inconsistency is actually an advantage because it really just keeps your opponent from getting in any type of groove, or it, it forces a letdown on the part of your opponent because you think all of a sudden they're just going to flake out the rest of the match.
0: Yeah. Do you, Do you remember that um, U.S. Open semifinal with Monfils against Djokovic, where Monfils <laughs> basically played the worst first set he could he could do like on purpose and his, his like strategy was to lower Joker's level. And well, he's ended up winning a set in that match.
2: Yeah. he I think he may have even did it for the first two sets. Yeah. I think the level was that low. Like the fans
0: were booing him.
2: him into that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, yeah. It, felt,
2: it felt like Kyrios kind of, um, you know, that he almost trolled, I felt I didn't see I, I stopped watching at like one nothing in the second set now, I understand that Kyrgios started to play better but like one second looks like the guy's gonna default from the match and then the next he's hitting 140 mile an hour serves it feels a little gamesmanshipy I know that with you know with the younger players it's not deliberate it's just something that's happening but still it's, it's gotta be tough to, to play against
0: yeah Kyrgios didn't get like a pass anymore for being a younger player he's like kind of a veteran now
2: yeah, no and I wasn't including him in that I know like, you know it sits a pass and and the Canadians and I, I don't know where this the guy who did really well at Delray Beach I don't know how young, what his age is but uh you know the young the, 20s the, the, the young 20s, the 20s. yeah yeah, the,
0: yeah.
1: The no I know to mean. it's like unforced errors shouldn't be a huge red flag when you're 18 as much as it might be when you're 25 but uh what at what age? What age is the cutoff? Like, if Shapovalov is still hitting the, um, the same like unforced errors without sort of improving his ranking or anything, in two years when he's twenty two instead of twenty, um, I mean he's nineteen point nine right? He's about twenty. <laughs> um, and then uh. I don't know. I think it's it's more of a red flag when you're 22 than when you're 20.
2: But. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we saw with Jack sock. All of a sudden, you know, he became a 19 year old again, and, 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 and there you go. I don't. Is he in the top 100 right now?
0: No. Um, he got finger surgery because um, he it got lodged like too far up his butthole. Well, I was
2: gonna say, if you're losing in the first round a lot, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna need that finger. So, yeah, it's probably probably a smart idea. <laughs> Relatedly,
0: David Gafan is still not top twenty, or he's like his his ranking is still not improved.
2: Yeah, he's got a threshold, though. I don't see how he could ever make it past the top eight. He's just not tall enough.
0: He's just not tall enough. That uh, <laughs> yeah, sounds
2: very. <laughs> Maybe he's Nishikori's height, but Nishikori's a little more, a little more ninja-like.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: So do you think? Do you think Rafa will benefit from having a little extra time off? Like, do you actually think it's almost counterproductive for him to to try to max out on the hard before the clay court season begins? Is it possible for him to do both, or will there always be a little bit of a trade-off?
1: I wonder if Miami was ever in his plans. Um because like, Im- imagine if he'd won Indian Wells, he probably wouldn't have played Miami. I would say no chance. Yeah. Imagine if he had lost early at Indian Wells, <laughs> he probably wouldn't have played Miami. Like, is there a scenario in which R- Rafa would have played Miami? I think I think like like last year he didn't play it. I think this is sort of like he looks at at his like play court season as like his uh is where is his real season it's his cash cow yeah yeah
0: and then everything else is bonus
1: yeah
2: well it's sort of like you know you know it is the, the place the sunshine whatever you call it the sunshine series it is a little bit anticlimactic i mean you've already had a major on hard courts so exactly what is it that you're trying to you know, peak out on hard courts for, they've had to do that already in January. Then you have those couple of clay court tournaments. And then you just sort of throw three hard courts in there without a crescendo. So I would think for all players, other than building up your ranking points and, and meeting some hot chicks, but if he's engaged, I would say the Miami, you know, the Miami value has, has lessened quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense. It almost, almost seems like just a unnecessary, uh, Speed bump.
0: Yeah, do you do you guys think uh, Joker is gonna win the French Open?
2: I think it's too um, early to tell. I think I think I think we'd we'd have to see how he does. He'll have to have one head to head match with Rafa on clay. I think to get a better read on whether or not he's the favorite. Didn't he beat him in the year that he did, like crush him in the quarters? Did he also beat him on clay in one of the matches before? Like, do you think that's what? It, that's the better, the better way to to gauge that is to see how they do head to head in the warm up tournaments, or do you think that doesn't really factor in?
0: I think it factors I don't know. in.
1: That was also the year that Nadal finished up ninth in the world. Like, that was sort of a not the best Nadal. Um, and there have been years where Djokovic has beaten him in like Rome or Madrid or somewhere, and then the, or like. There have been years where Djokovic has beaten him multiple times in lead-up tournaments and then lost to him at Roland Garros. Um, but I don't feel like this would be one of those years. I
2: would feel that if he beat him in the warm-up, it would be a better predictor of Roland Garros.
1: Just because yeah. he has the momentum against Nadal already.
0: Yes, but yeah, the shellacking from the finals <laughs> of the Aussie.
1: I, I, I called Djokovic for winning the single-season Grand Slam, so I'm not going to back down from that now.
0: Yeah. I think it really depends on if Nadal is fully healthy. Like, if he can, if he can, if his knees are actually bothering him all through Roland Garros, that'll be trouble.
2: But he doesn't have to play all the warm up tournaments, right? I mean, that's more for his ego's sake than, than for his game's sake. I mean, he could take a couple of those off, correct? And still, yeah. And still bring it in Paris. I mean, look how he played at Wimbledon without any warm up tournaments. He played. Aussie without any warm ups. I don't think that's like a a prerequisite.
0: Yeah, I think he likes I think those uh those five tournaments on clay just like keep his ranking like at least in the top four. If he would like, he he gets like four thousand points from those tournaments.
2: And four thousand girlfriends. Speak. <laughs> uh, so does anybody have to like? Either carry their momentum over, or or get it back in Miami. I think, even though they're switching surfaces, do you th- who do you think Miami is kind of like a key springboard for, uh, you know, for the European swing?
0: I think uh, who needs to
1: make a good showing. I think
0: Tiafo needs a good result because he has done nothing since the Australian Open.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Isner backs up his last year, his his title from last year. Um, but yeah, let's actually check out the Miami draw. Let's bring that up real quick. I think Anderson might need something because he had to. He's done nothing this year either. Um, let's see the. Uh, I think it's it's actually kind of funny that um, that Federer and Wawrinka are, are like set are uh, supposed to play each other early um and they they played each other early at uh indian wells as well and um Chilich and shapovalov also but uh what are yeah, you talking also, round of 32 or round of 64 round of 32 and so but um i guess another one is vera i guess he made the final of, of acapulco but he um he's been like he he hasn't He's not really high in the uh, race right now. He's had kind of a, a mediocre season so far.
0: Yeah, this feels like it might be a Sverev tournament, just like a Masters 1000 that a lot of people are checked out of. Yeah.
2: Well, he's got some points to defend. Didn't he make the finals last year?
0: Yeah, he did.
1: And also, it's like Federer exists in this tournament, but he went all the way to the finals of the last tournament. This will actually be interesting to really gauge Federer's fitness, um, because he he doesn't have the easiest draw in uh, in Miami. He's he's in the same section as Wawrinka, and either Schwartzman or Medvedev, and then um, Kashinov or Anderson.
0: Yeah, that's a bad draw. I think maybe Sitsipas could win it. A Sitsipas-Swarov uh, quarterfinal could be fun because yeah, Sitsipas be might fun. be pissed about uh, losing first round in Indian Wells.
2: And, and who do you see as under the radar uh, aside from those who, who you've mentioned so far? That like this, this could be a, either a coming out party or or a resurgence party for them, kind of like Isner did last year, where he really got his uh, his year back on track.
1: All right, you heard it here first. I think Vili makes at least the quarters because uh, he's had a quiet year. He's pretty good. He has Monfi and Team in his section, both of whom got pretty far at Indian Wells. I'm saying Vili gets kind of far.
0: Mark, I'm I'm gonna take your boy Milman. Is <laughs> gonna, gonna it's gonna be a really really sweaty night. He's yeah, he's he gonna. The heat. Yeah, he's gonna beat Djokovic, and then take 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 that momentum all the way to the semis.
2: And, and what round are they scheduled to meet the the round of sixteen or the round of thirty two? Round of
0: thirty two.
2: I mean, isn't Djokovic's focus on doubles now? I mean, isn't that sort of what happened in uh, in Indian Wells? He <laughs> sort
0: of,
2: you know, kind of said, I, "I really, I need to build my pedigree as a doubles player."
0: Yeah, let's see. Can Is he... he playing doubles in this tournament? <laughs>
2: I don't even know, but no,
0: it doesn't look uh, like it.
2: I, I think Djokovic has got to prove himself a little bit. I mean that that loss has got to leave a slightly bad taste in his mouth. So, while I don't think his season hinges on this, I think he wants to, he still wants to have a good showing. So I think anything short of the semis, and he'll be a little bit, um, you know, less confident going in going into the next phase.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I mean, Milman's just unbeatable. Um, in certain <laughs> conditions,
2: if you get them at night and four tiebreakers with sweaty grips, yeah, you pretty much, you know, you're you're just hoping to make it interesting. <laughs> it is it is interesting to
1: check out the doubles teams though. These are we at the point where um, guys are trying to like up their double standing for the Olympics?
0: Oh, that's a good question.
1: I mean, are you looking at the draw? You got you got some teams you can throw out for us? Yeah, cuz like Kashinov and Medvedev played with each other in um in uh in Indian Wells as well and lost to the Bryan brothers.
2: Well, uh, you and I, what, I saw Catchinov Kachanov and Rublev last year and they lost in the finals and they they were fun to watch.
1: Yeah, they were good. Um Yeah, I mean I think those are the two that have been playing together more than you'd expect two to play together um or like two like mostly singles guys to play like having them play like two two tournaments in a row and doubles is kind of like huh, i wonder if they're trying to juice their doubles rankings for the olympics
0: yeah and i guess you see a lot of like same country pairings but i think you always see a lot of same country pairings I
1: think a, an interesting pairing is uh Steve Johnson and Dominic Team. I'd say that's a really interesting. I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh.
2: You think that's pick out of the hat? I mean, is that what <laughs> is it like uh, musical chairs? I mean, I <laughs>
1: yeah, did they you know, pick each
0: know. other?
2: <laughs> or is that blind dating? Is that is that Tinder?
1: I actually
0: is do think standard? like uh, there's blind dating in doubles sometimes, where it's like one guy shows up and just decides, hey, I want to play doubles, <laughs> and just is like, does anybody want to play doubles? And then another person raises his hand.
2: Yeah. I, I like think
0: you're right. uh, one one uh, pairing is Stefano Sizapass with Wesley Koolhoff, a Dutch guy. Yeah, and I bet that's a blind date. <laughs> for sure.
1: And then
0: Shapovalov
1: with. Rohan Bopanna from India.
0: Yeah, um,
1: it's like a swinger. would fun. be a sick doubles player. He's a lefty with good volleys and a good serve.
0: Yeah, he's got good volleys. Uh, what do you think about
1: his rapping
2: skills? Uh, oh, see yeah. that? <laughs> I don't know.
1: He pulled it off.
2: Reading off the phone. <laughs> hey yeah do you think competitively it, it uh it kind of gets uh, the hip-hop part of the crowd on the
1: side like it was it a <laughs> was it a branding thing
2: oh, i think his talk-
1: willingness to do that it was just sort of like points like fun points um
0: you're talking about like rap music i was thinking i was thinking wait chapovalov definitely doesn't wear condoms <laughs> <laughs>
2: I don't know. You'd, you'd have to ask Rayonich. I mean, he would know best. So <laughs> clearly, he got a little boost in the last tournament, which uh, that may explain it. So, uh, what 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 are you feeling on Fed? You think would you be bullish on him? Do you think he'll be uh, he'll be a force uh, all the way through the U.S. Open? I mean, at least well, yeah. Let's let's say that. Do you think do you think that even though he lost, he he steps away from that, saying, "Hey." Uh, you know, it takes somebody playing their absolute best match to beat me. Uh, I feel pretty good about the way I'm playing, and and I'm not slowing down. I mean, he didn't look great in Australia, but he's looked better since. So, do you, which which do you think is more in indicative of uh, of where he's at with his game?
0: I mean, he won Dubai and got to the finals of Indian Wells. Uh, team was on fi- like team had to play his best to beat Feder. Like, it's just incredible how good he still is. Like, these guys have to play their best to beat him, and even if they do play their best, they still might not win.
1: Yeah, it's really not going to be a linear decline for him. Because I remember, like, end of last season, beginning of this season, he, like, dipped a bit. And I was just like, all right. I was, like, leading the Federer's done bandwagon. But now his level's up again. And it's just like, I don't know, he's going to, like, keep, keep having his ups and his downs, but he's sort of showing that his ups are still really, really good. Like, if Djokovic somehow loses in a grand slam, is going to be, like, one of the, if not the favorite after Djokovic.
2: Yeah, I, I would have to agree. You know, it seemed like he improved his game. Uh, it seemed like he was hitting his backhand harder. Uh, you know, he's always been unafraid to come to the net on the big points which you know is more than we could say for most of the players but look like he was actually uh generating some more offense with his backhand i don't know how you guys felt
0: i think that's uh, actually been an improvement since like the 2017 australian open when he beat nadal like uh if his back if he were this good at the high backhand like throughout his career um that nadal federer rivalry would have been a totally different story
2: but that rivalry also evened out a little bit, right? Uh, Fed sort of had the edge the last four or five years. I mean, it yeah, doesn't have the overall
0: sort of, edge. But I mostly think because it, Fed hasn't played clay, so it's just like hard true, for true, it to even true. out. Yeah. They,
1: they haven't played since 2017.
2: But they haven't played on grass forever, I would assume. That's probably got to be eight or nine years. So you're really just basing it on hardcore, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I'm not sure if I've brought this theory, this uh, idea up on the podcast before, but it's sort of uh, it sort of skews statistics that there are two hard court Grand Slams and only one on the other two surfaces. So I've sort of had this idea swimming in my head of making the Australian Open alternate between hard grass and clay uh, every every three years. Or do we just
2: go hard and clay and? You assume that grass is the outlier anyway. Just because the the grass court part of the season is really just a month.
0: But the uh, Aussies are Australia has traditionally has a lot of grass courts, so it True. wouldn't be like hard for them.
2: How do you do the warm ups for that? <laughs> yeah, I like, guess like
0: Brisbane. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah, that would be tough. The warm up tournaments, changing them all to like grass and clay.
1: Or do but we have Aussie has dance. the fewest warm up tournaments. Yeah.
2: True. True. I mean, that I always assume that just the end of the year is part of the warm up for that end of the previous year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I certainly don't think it's a bad idea to switch it between uh, between clay and hard, unless you unless you go six Grand Slams. Uh, although the U.S. Open gets everybody when they're tired, so that tournament unto itself is already kind of a. It's become sort of an appendage. I feel like that's the one even maybe less so, even more so than the Aussie that players are willing to bypass right now if they have
1: to. Yeah, no, I agree. It's like people are, people are, can't, are often injured by that time of the year.
0: Yeah. May through August is such an intense stretch. Yeah. So do you guys have anything, any last things you want to say? Uh, Before we uh, end the podcast,
2: well, I mean, I'll I'll miss you down here in Miami. I enjoyed catching some of the matches with you last year, Peter. But let's uh, let's let's uh, let's make sure we double back, you know, after after the third round and uh, and kind of recalibrate our our impressions here. I think I think this should be a good tournament. I think there there are a lot of players with a lot to prove, and if they don't prove it sooner than later, you know, 2019 will be a bust for them. So I think that while you know, some of the players are already getting ready for the clay court. I, I do think there there's quite a bit of stock in this tournament. Maybe I'm a little bit biased. Mark, are you, are you
0: going to the tournament? Are you going to see it live? I or?
2: am. actually going to. You know, I really, now that you mentioned, it, I want to try to get to that round of sixteen match with Kachanov and Fed. I am going next Wednesday, the twenty seventh, for sure, which should be some quarterfinal stuff. But uh, but maybe I'll try to try to get there a little earlier.
1: So yeah. Uh, so Kachanov Fed would be this the. Um, the quarterfinals if Kashinov can get past Anderson. Oh then then actually that's probably the night I'm going
2: actually so that'll work out great. I'm going nice. next Wednesday night.
1: Yeah. Um let's see but clo- closing thoughts. Uh, here's uh I do wonder if um if uh it'll be interesting if one thing I'm keeping my eye out on for is uh, the uh, Sitsipas Zverev dynamic, and whether Sitsipas can actually remain consistent and catch Zverev, um, and be the young, be the first person younger than Zverev who's ranked ahead of Zverev.
0: Yeah, that will be interesting. Yeah, because Zverev has done nothing so far this year, so it's like it's definitely possible about Korich, no i think george is older than svera ah uh, too
2: bad
0: yeah cool all right well to our listeners uh we enjoyed it and we hope you did too um thanks for putting up with us for 47 minutes um and yeah we'll be back uh hopefully uh no, by next weekend by next weekend